You're about to listen to the IC News podcast. We hope you enjoy it. Please don't forget, our show can only succeed with your support. Tell your friends. Share the link around on social media. Leave us a rating and a review on whichever platform you're listening on. And while we have your attention, take a second to hit that subscribe button. That way, you'll get a brand new episode each and every Saturday. If you're enjoying the show enough to want to support it, check out the link to our Patreon page. It's at patreon.com slash I see you stories. For just a pound or so a month, you'll get early access to every episode of the show as soon as it's finished, as well as early access to the Monday stories on the I see you Facebook page. You're listening to I see news, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. Rishi Sunak nominates himself as the man to really start thumbing in the softy of Brexit, starting with the self-employed, who are to be the first in the country to get a trial run of what it feels like trying to survive on 20% of your former GDP. Keir Starmer sets out to win back voters by emphasising that he really loves Britain, and Britain really loves him too. Britain even let him do hand stuff over Britain's genes, and if Britain says otherwise, that's just because Britain is worried about what Britain's dad would say. President Trump refuses to commit to a peaceful handover of power should he lose the November election, meaning his presidential villain rating has just increased from House of Cards Kevin Spacey to real-life Kevin Spacey. And finally, Boris Johnson claims the UK could become the Saudi Arabia of wind power, which is slightly worrying when you consider just how many adulterous women you could line up and decapitate at once with a wind turbine. Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Gore, and you're listening to another episode of IC News. If the news has you clutching at your chest and wincing in the aisle of the supermarket, just pop two of us in your mouth. We'll soon start soothing your burning innards with our twin pink and white jets of creamy media coverage. Here at IC News, we're the only cable news network with our patented multiverse technology, meaning we don't just flop out the barely tumescent stories from here on Earth Prime and expect you to be impressed. We've also got the rock-hard kidney-grazing scoops from a whole host of alternative dimensions that exist alongside our own. If there's a parallel reality offering up a teachable moment to bring back home, our reporters will be there to snuffle it out like the greedy, news-hungry little truffle pigs they are. Not that it hasn't been an exciting week right here at home, provided, of course, that your idea of exciting consists of watching on helplessly as the entire country's multi-billion pound hospitality sector dies, flailing and choking, reaching desperately for help to a government that has clearly decided that our post-Brexit economy will be a thing of such glorious beauty that we'll no longer need a drink after work, or entertainment, or culture, or music, or anything to watch on TV, or in the cinema, or any of the things that actually make life enjoyable. As comebacks go, the once again surging coronavirus pandemic has been about as welcome as a Lost Profits reunion tour, but even that would bring in more financial support to the entertainment industry than Rishi Sunak's newest measures seem to be offering them. It's been a decidedly rough week for everyone here in Britain, with yet more brutal and business-busting lockdown measures announced. With the latest on the Conservative government's wild flailing as it attempts to get even a cursory grip on the crisis, we now go to Tom King, who's been travelling the multiverse in search of an economic solution to the nation's woes. Thanks, Sam. That noise you can hear behind me, 
It's the sweet sound of money pouring into the public coffers, and it's one that Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson are clearly hoping they can emulate back home on Earth Prime. This is Earth Victor Serco Wallspath 32, and here the loving human contact on which we all depend has become a commodity in itself. Hello there, sir. Can I get you anything to drink? Oh, hello, mate. Uh, how are you? I'm fine, sir, but just so you're aware, I'm going to have to charge you £10 for that miscellaneous pleasantry. By referring to me as a friendly acquaintance and inquiring about my state of well-being, you attempted to develop camaraderie and expressed empathy, which are, of course, both billable. Oh, right. Um. Well, I'll just, I'll just have a pint of lager, please. One nondescript lager, and that'll also be £2.50 for the hint of basic politeness. Can I get you anything else at this point? Red? Bar snacks? Perhaps a meaningless exchange about how the weather is very changeable today. What? How much is the meaningless exchange? £7.50. Just a lager, then. Very good, sir. (sighs) Right. Now, this might seem like a drastic solution to those of you listening at home, but when you're desperately trying to balance the health of the country against the health of the economy, there are no simple answers. On Earth Prime, that was made very clear this week. First, we heard from Patrick Valance and Chris Whitty, who appeared on our televisions to act out a post-apocalyptic Morecambe and Wise closing skit. The punchline appeared to be that winter is very much coming and it's going to kill us all. That was followed by rampant media speculation about a potential circuit break closing the hospitality sector for a fortnight in an attempt to suppress the rapidly spreading virus. Then, on Tuesday night, we were treated to the sight of a tired-looking Boris Johnson in an impressively square suit. He bounced his fists up and down on the table and mumbled some nonsensical bollocks about uh, the, the iron laws of geometric progression. Then he announced a raft of strict new measures that didn't go anywhere near as far as his chief scientific advisers had clearly indicated they thought were necessary just a couple of days beforehand. It's obvious that the government are now very much conscious of the country's fatigue with lockdown, but what it keeps getting spectacularly wrong is the basis on which our great national efforts against the pandemic have to be founded in order to work properly. Lockdown has to be a matter of public consent. Back in March, everybody understood the need to protect the NHS and our vulnerable people. The measures put in place may have been disastrous for the economy, but they were at least clear and direct. And they worked, although they clearly worked too late and should have been brought in sooner. Now, there are just too many nonsensical contradictions and directives, with the rules of local lockdowns changing every five seconds and often appearing utterly contrary to what we have been asked to do at work. On top of that, they're often communicated appallingly, meaning even the most well-meaning of us just can't be clear on what's expected of us at any given moment. Nobody wants a second national lockdown, and we obviously can't stay at home forever, and we need to keep the economy afloat, if for no other reason than to prevent all the other death and suffering that crippling it any further would cause. That does mean making tough decisions about how we balance our public and economic health and the vast majority of Brits understand that perfectly well. But you can't bring people back together by reopening schools, pubs, restaurants and offices without the virus making a comeback. That's just the nature of this pandemic and it's sadly inevitable. That's why it's so 
fucking galling to hear our elected officials imply that this rise in cases is solely down to the public breaching the rules when it clearly isn't. What we need, and we need it now, is not jingoistic blitz spirit bullshit about our upcoming struggle with an impossible winter. It's not a set of incompetent clowns who expect us to believe that 6,000 new cases a day are solely the fault of teenagers and their illegal raves. We need a national test and trace programme that's fit for fucking purpose. What we've got instead is a patchwork, half-arsed lockdown that effectively privatises social interaction, meaning we can't see friends or family unless there's a cash register involved. Add to that the stripping away of the financial support that made it feasible for so many to even follow the rules in the first place and you've got a potential disaster looming. It's a model that's never going to get the same level of public consent that we saw back in March. It's utterly unsustainable and until testing and tracing are properly sorted out, that lack of consent is only going to manifest in more outbreaks. Here you are, sir. One pint of lager. That'll be £13 when you're ready to settle up. Fuck me. I take it that includes all the socialising charges, right? No, sir, that's just the pint. With your social charges, your tab currently stands at £25.50. Jesus Christ. (laughs) I see London prices apply here in your dimension as well. Very amusing, sir. Witticisms are four quid a pop, so I'll just add that to your tab. You have any plans for the rest of the day? Well, my nan's still alive in this reality. I might go and see her at the home. What a lovely idea, sir. May I suggest you wash her while you're there? By contributing to her social care, you can earn yourself a 10% discount on family reunions. Right. Um. well, thanks for that. You're welcome, sir. That'll be £2.50 for another hint of basic politeness. Fuck me. I I think I'd better call it there. I'm Tom King, and however bad you think a Weatherspoons can get, It turns out there's always a way it can be worse. Reporting for IC News. That's another £4 witticism, sir. Oh, why don't you fuck off, mate? Gladly, sir. Cathartic public confrontations are today's special, in fact. That'll be £17. Things might be utterly miserable here in Britain, but when you're led by a host of terminally useless nationalist chest-thumpers whose ambitions are completely untethered from the lead and anchor of their actual talents, there's a certain catharsis to be had in wondering just how badly things could actually get. Over the last few years, taking a quick glance across the Atlantic has gifted us a convenient way to stare directly into that particular abyss. With the latest developments on America's upcoming coin toss between outright fascism and, well... Joe Biden, we now go to Alison June Smith. The Supreme Court. It's the final legal battleground for some of the most contentious issues in American life. It's the potential last-chance saloon for everything from voting rights to health care, abortion, gun control, and civil liberties. Justice in America works a little differently to back home in the UK, because here, judges are political appointees, and the lifetime positions on the highest bench in the land are chosen by the president of the day, unless that president is Barack Obama. This is 2020 we're talking about. 
It's the year that just won't stop kicking us all in the vagina. And if you haven't got one of those, 2020 is going to make you one. It's going to present it to you as a gift. You'll grow to love that vagina. It'll become part of you. And just when you and your vagina start to feel safe, 2020 is going to take a run-up in steel-toe-capped shoes and kick you straight in it. There's no escape, guys. 2020 is a relentless toe punt to the uterus, and it's showing no signs of slowing down just yet. In this year's latest miserable twist, last Friday saw Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg pass away after a long battle with cancer. Following her death, Republicans wasted absolutely no time improving how disgustingly hypocritical they could be after President Trump quickly declared he'd be announcing his nomination for her replacement as soon as possible. Bader Ginsburg was a titan of the law, a relentless advocate of women's rights and liberal principles, and one of the sharpest legal minds the Supreme Court has ever had. Trump's potential replacements are, well, what do you fucking think? The scandal of the story is not that Trump is almost certainly going to announce an anti-abortion evangelical as his nominee later today, as a ploy to help him get re-elected. It's the most obvious move in the world. It's going to own the libs, fire up his base, and get millions of pretend Christians to the polling booth. There's no way these pricks don't know deep down that Donald Trump would have had his ass personally power-bombed through a table by Jesus before he kicked him out of the temple. They don't care. Separation of the church and state mean nothing to America's Christian conservatives. And if Trump is their ticket to overturning Roe versus Wade, they'll back him every time sprinting to go against her dying wish and replace Bader Ginsburg with a candidate who opposes everything she stood for is a ghoulish, opportunistic move by a disgusting asshole who couldn't care less about Christian values. That's not the surprise here. It's Trump 101. Scandal, although scandals aren't really scandals unless they somehow shock you, is that once again the Republican-controlled Senate have shown that there is absolutely no limit to their hypocrisy and shamelessness. Here's Lindsey Graham, just a few years ago, justifying his refusal to confirm Obama's Supreme Court pick in an election year. I want you to use my words against me. If there's a Republican president in 2016 and a vacancy occurs in the last year of the first term, you can say, Lindsey Graham said, let's let the next president, whoever it might be, make that nomination. The problem with using Lindsey Graham's words against him is that you can only really use anything in an argument if it has value to the situation. Lindsey Graham has proven time and time again that his words have absolutely no value at all. They're literally worthless, and they spill out of his mouth for no other reason than to keep it busy. During the brief periods of the day when his tongue isn't directly up Donald Trump's asshole, of course, he's far from the only senator backpedaling frantically. Remember Mitt Romney, the guy who thought Donald Trump was guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors and therefore unfit to serve as president? Turns out that spine of his was uh, display purposes only, and now it's firmly back in its case. Now that Romney has declared his intentions, Trump has the votes he needs in the Senate to give a lifetime Supreme Court appointment to a woman like Amy Coney Barrett. 
If you don't know who she is, just read The Handmaid's Tale when you've got period pains and a really bad UTI, that sense of despair, and that burning feeling that your entire womanhood is somehow under attack pretty much sums her up. If there's any light of hope for America's future at the end of this grim tunnel, it's kind of hard to see right now. A further religious foothold on the highest court in the land is going to shape the way Americans live their lives for decades to come. The possibility has got Democrats spitting feathers, threatening all kinds of repercussions in a potential Biden presidency. He could abolish the Senate filibuster and expand the Supreme Court or grant statehood to Democrat-leading territories like Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. These are big threats, and they're bound to be making some conservatives nervous. The problem is that historically, Democrats are total pussies when it comes to embracing the sort of partisanship measures like them would require. The Republicans are clearly counting on that continuing to be the case. If Joe Biden wins in November, it remains to be seen if he'll go anywhere near as far as he needs to just rebalance the sledgehammer Trump has taken to convention. Yeah, you heard me. We need Joe Biden, the radical. Good luck, America. I'm Allison June Smith, and I'm going back to Canada before these assholes get me a red hood and shove me in stirrups. Reporting for IC News. It's time now to sit back, relax, and cast your mind all the way back to Monday, a time that now feels like it was roughly a thousand years ago. If you're anything like the papers, you'll have forgotten about the day's news already, even though it once again exposed just how utterly compromised the West's entire financial system is by criminal conduct and money laundering. The FinCEN files leak once again hinted at worrying links between Russian oligarchs and the British political system – but it's only fair to hear both sides of the story. So here to clear it all up is our Russian correspondent, Alexander Notterbot. Hello there, my English friends. I am Alexander Notterbot esteemed Russian journalist of much repute, liberal advocate of free press, and definitely not former KGB assassin, now an employee of criminal oligarch. My hips are not capable of the lying, like those of popular Latin American dancing woman Shakira. I like the way her bottom shakes. <laughs> it reminds me of time I put student activist in cement mixer. Uh, uh, no, wait, I, I mean, it reminds me of jelly pudding. Innocent jelly pudding. That definitely does not result in death of dissident. Why are you hearing my impartial Russian voice this week, I hear you ask? It's very simple. Once again, my country has been maligned in British press with many outlandish claims of financial naughtiness and improper political interference. This week saw a big leak of many important banking documents showing how big criminal enterprises move trillions in money around the globe. This leak was an important piece of credible journalism and not at all potentially damaging revelation for Russian billionaire donating to UK political party through secret proxies who would rather keep close ties to Kremlin under the wraps. Mm. 
Excuse me one moment. I am in process of taking dog to vet, and he is very nervous in motor vehicle. There, there, dog. Be good boy. It will all be over soon. Where was I? Ah, yes. These leaks, the so-called FinCEN files, show just tiny selection of many reports made to authorities by banks about suspicious activity. It is duty of banking system to report them, so that U.S. government can then, from look of it, proceed to do jack and shit about any of it. This is very embarrassing for U.S. of A., and also for United Kingdom, as it turns out your banks are basically great big washing machine for whole truckloads of shitty money. Proper financial regulation is very important for keeping criminals in check. In Russia, we know this better than anyone. Nothing frightens our criminals more than sanctions. One whiff of that word, and Novichok goes straight back into cupboard. What is it English police programs say? Honest governor. Less scrupulous criminals, it would seem, can do reach around of buttocks and tug on dick of sanctions very easily, thanks to banks that make it all possible. We Russians, of course, would never do such a shady thing. We know that in UK and US of A, you are big, flighty, scared girls about a legitimate businessman with links to great leader Vladimir Putin, which is why you say net to all their money. Unless it buys London houses or tennis matches with prime ministers, or clandestine meetings in which said money bankrolls pro-Brexit politicians and special advisors. Oh dear, dog is upset again. Quiet boy, we will be there in just a moment. Here, let me wrap you up all tight and safe. There, now we are all ready for the vet. If you are listening in Britain and are all uppity and cross about these revelations, I am here to tell you to take heart. It is very startling and can make you very mad to realize that financial institutions are instrumental in the way criminal activity and terrorism are funded. But you must not let it get you down. On Monday, this felt like big story. Remember Panama Papers? Oh, and Paradise Papers. They were big stories too. But nothing much came of them, and life goes on. As does the money laundering, and the tax evasion, and the lobbying and deliberate destabilizing of democracy. is all just part of the circle of life. Now, if you will excuse me, it is time for Fido's appointment. Come on now, boy. Time to see the vet. Yeah. I am Alexander Notabot, real journalist and definitely not hitman disposing of banking whistleblower with flappy tongue, reporting for IC News. There, see? Nothing to worry about. Everybody knows the real financial cheeks are the benefit claimants in immigrants, right? Quick, look over there. Sorry, I thought I saw a squirrel. Alexander's report brings us to the end of our scheduled broadcast. We leave you now with the headlines you may have missed. Michael Gove announces the potential introduction of access permits for hauliers in Kent in the event of a no-deal Brexit. Kent did vote leave. I'm just not sure they knew they were voting to leave the UK. David Attenborough joins Instagram and gains a million followers in under five hours. 
To be fair, his arse is spectacular, even if he is clearly using a filter. Liberal Democrat leader Ed Davey says the party is going to focus on what the people really need. Presumably because he keeps being asked, do we really need the Liberal Democrats? And finally, a woman falls out of a speeding car on the M25 as she leans out of the window for a Snapchat video. I know, right? Fucking ridiculous. Since when is it possible to get above 30 on the M25? You've been listening to IC News. Thank you, and goodbye. You've just been listening to the IC News Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to help us spread the word. Only with your support can we reach more people and build a larger audience. Every episode of IC News is written and produced by Sam Gore. Every week we feature guest voices from the UK stand-up circuit. Check out the podcast description to find out who you've been listening to. They're all very funny people, and you should check out their stuff. The IC News main theme is written and performed by Eddie French and the graphic design for the show is by Chunchy.com. Any additional music in the show will always be properly credited in the podcast description, so if you hear something you like, please check that out and support the independent artists who offer their work to shows like ours.